Try not to trip. We are super excited and grateful to be together tonight. Yeah, amen. Anyone grateful for the cold weather out of nowhere? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's awesome. It's like, it's like the Lord's judgment on mosquitoes. It's like, kill them all. Kill them all in your fiery wrath. Yes. Uh, most of you know, I recently, um, about almost 10 months ago, I became a dad. Yes. And it's absolutely crazy. I, I'm definitely probably going to be one of those preachers that, that has like thousands of illustrations from, you know, being a parent and watching your kid grow up. And, and so that's definitely going to be me. I'm always, I'm always thinking about that and learning about that. And, and I'm, I see my, my baby, she, baby Bethany, she's crawls on the floor all over. And if, if you walk away, she'll like crawl after you. And, and, and my wife dresses her up as girly as humanly possible. Um, and it's the cutest thing because she wants to be held. And, and it really does something to you. I know many, many of us in this room are not parents yet. One day, maybe, Lord willing, you will be a parent. And, you know, the parents always say, what do they say? Like whenever you're like, you know, whenever you're a parent, you'll understand. Right? You ever have them tell you that? Like you've heard that a million times. I heard it a million times. And, and then now I'm a parent and I'm trying to articulate like what is go- what's happening to me? What's going on with me? Because it, the, just watching my daughter exist fills me with joy. Just watching her exist, watching her smile watching her laugh, watching her crawl. She's like, there's nothing really impressive going on, but it moves me to the depths of my soul. I never imagined uh, what it would be like to be a father until I became a father. There is, however, we're talking about fatherhood tonight, and there is a lot that goes into this, with, especially when, when you study the scriptures and what they are talking about with with God and his fatherhood, the fatherhood nature of God. In our society and culture today, fatherhood's probably never been more attacked than at any time in our nation's history. Fatherhood and even masculinity in that nature is under attack. 18.4 million children in our country live without a father in the home. 18.4 million. That is enough children to fill New York City twice over. That's how many children in our country do not. This is all information I got from the National Fatherhood Initiative, fatherhood.org. Um, one, that's, so that's one in four children live without a father in the home. Children living in female-headed homes with no father present have a poverty rate of 47.6%. That's over four times the rate for children living in homes with a mom and dad crazy, just that type of difference that takes place. Uh, Another statistic is that girls that are raised in a father-absent home are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Seven times more likely. This is our culture today. 
fatherhood is no is it's really in many regards it's it's not taken seriously anymore by our modern culture and modern times but the bible maintains the importance of one what fatherhood is and how it's vital to the family and also how our god describes himself as a heavenly father in first john we're, that's the book we're going to be reading through this this evening, First John chapter 3, we got it on the screen if you have your Bibles, but if you don't have your Bibles, we do have it for you. But First John chapter 3, we're going to just read a few verses here, and um, in this epistle, we're going we're gonna to dive into this, and I believe it's going to be good. Y'all ready? First John chapter 3, just a few verses, says this, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Verse 2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know, we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Let's pray. Jesus, gracious Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak to us tonight. Open up our ears. Lord, help us to capture a glimpse of who you are. Oh, Father, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody in the house said, Amen. Amen. This book was written by John, the disciple, and he wrote his epistles and his gospel really later in life. But it's important to know because John was the only disciple that lived to old age. All the other disciples died martyr, martyrdom deaths. But John lived to his old age. Uh, the, the, um, John tells us many times in the gospel of John and in his epistles the reason he wrote the gospel and the reason he wrote his letters. He defines it very clearly when he says this phrase in, in, in his book, his, the book of John. He says, these things are written so that you might believe the Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you may have eternal life. Je or John's goal, his agenda in writing the gospel of John and, and his letters are, the, are so that we would understand that Jesus is the Son of God. That's his mission. That's his message, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing in that Son will grant us eternal life. In this epistle, I, we find that just doing a little bit of research, Father, the word Father is used 13 times. This is a very tiny little letter as well, very tiny book of the Bible in the New Testament. Father is used 13 times and the phrase little children 11 times. The Apostle Paul, if he was a man that was, was focused on writing to the church, you could say John was focused on writing to the family. He is constantly targeting and focusing on the family. The Bible maintains that family is a big deal. It's massively important, especially when understanding the nature and character of God. So John is capturing this idea that when you walk with God, you must understand, Chi Alpha, you join a family. Now, family in the Rio Grande Valley is a big deal, right? It's a huge deal. That's why I love the Rio Grande Valley and why I never want to leave. 
because the conviction of family is strong. But at the same time, when you get into Chi Alpha and you join a Chi Alpha small group and you develop strong fellowship, strong relationships with your, your brothers and guys in your small group and girls with your sisters in your small group, it becomes kind of like a family. And many people, and I can, I can lose count easily when I think of my friends in Chi Alpha, when many of us get in Chi Alpha, we don't have much of a family at home. See, some of you sitting here would say, oh man, my Chi Alpha small group is much, has been much more of a family to me than even my own flesh and blood. Why is that? Because the kingdom of God is a family. And when we walk with Jesus together, we are really invited to join in in a family. In Chi Alpha, we say that we are a family and a army because we, are, we have a mission to spread the gospel of Jesus to every four corner of the earth. We're going to Morocco this summer, right, to preach the gospel. Amen, yeah. We're going to Oman, right? I'm looking at my missions team, seeing if I get it right. Uh, we're going to Chile this summer on a missions trip, yeah, and we're going to have some local trips across Texas as well. Why? Because in Chi Alpha, we love missions, and we love sending the gospel to other people that might not have it. That's because we're an army. We believe in sending out the gospel and marching as our Lord Jesus commanded us to march. But we are not just an army. We are also a family. And that family is a huge deal when it comes to getting to understand what it's like to walk with God. So in this epistle, John is giving us some ideas that I want to talk, just dive into a little bit of uh, what we can pull from this scripture and apply it to our own lives. And then at the end of service tonight, we're going to have a wonderful time in sharing in communion together. Does that sound good? It's going to be awesome. So the first thing I want to pull out tonight is that the, the nature of a father, what does the Bible explain and what does it describe when it talks about the nature of what it, of fatherhood and nature of the father heart of God? Well, today in our, and I would say that we live in a hyper-feminist culture today, many of us in our culture, we see masculinity and manhood as, some, as something that's really beneath and something that's not good and healthy. I mean, for example, we have terms like toxic masculinity in our culture today. You ever heard that before? We also have this funny phrase called mansplaining. This is basically that's what I'm doing to everybody tonight, apparently, right? But this, these modern cultural terms, which attempts to paint regular behavior to be toxic merely because it's coming from a man. So what it is, is our culture attacking masculinity. It doesn't, it's, so Winky Prattney talks about this, this amazing teaching called the Babylonian pattern. In order for, see, the devil's goal, guys, is to try to destroy childhood. That's his goal. The devil wants to destroy childhood. Now, in order for the devil to get to children and get to childhood, he must remove the parents. And every time in the Bible where you see family being attacked, it always goes in this order. This is what Winky calls the Babylonian pattern. The devil must first remove the father out of the equation. He's the first line of defense in defending and protecting the family. If the devil can remove the father, then he can has full access to attack, attack, attack the mother and the children. 
Because that man, the Bible even teaches this, that father is the front line of defense for the family. So the, but see, the devil's goal is to destroy childhood. How many times in the Bible do we read of, of like King Pharaoh calling an order to destroy all firstborn sons? How, how many, um, and, and even in Jesus' day, King Herod does the same edict to destroy all firstborn children. The devil is after to destroy children themselves, and if he can't destroy children, he's going to try to destroy childhood. He's always trying to get us to grow up far too quickly. Far too quickly. We see this in, in our college atmosphere, what we call hookup culture. Hookup culture teaches men and women to have as many sexual partners as possible, regardless of consequences, and to disregard things like purity, commitment, and fidelity. Hookup culture tries to erase all of those things. Another uh, extreme modern feminists argue that we, they even say, quote, we don't need men. We don't need men at all. And discourage women from getting married and starting families and to instead only focus on their careers before they start a family. That's, that's the times that we live in. Now, I, you can look this up. This is on divorce.com. This is a study that they've done. In America, reports, stu- uh, there are studies that show that almost 70% of divorces that take place, almost 70% of divorces that take place are initiated by women. 70%. Now, why does that take place? Well, because your culture is bombarding you, women, I'm talking to you, their culture is bombarding you that you don't need men, that you can get by totally on your own, and that you, that you should celebrate the fact that, that men are basically a waste of time. And you don't. Now, is that true? The Bible teaches that we need each other, and there's no getting around that. See, the Bible maintains the value of the family and that the strongest families are when you have those three entities. You have mother and father and child. Are you all with me tonight? Well, I wanted to tackle a little bit of these statistics so we can understand. So, so as a result, million, because of this culture that we live in today, this modern, uh, postmodernistic culture, the result is that millions of children are growing up without fathers and without any idea of what good fatherhood even looks like. I won't do it, but I could even say, raise your hand if you grew up without a father. We would probably have a shocking number, whether your, your father was out of the picture or your father was home, but just not ever present. That is all too common in our culture today. But the Bible teaches us that God is a heavenly father and that he provides us all of these things that a father should. Now, this is important, guys, because when I say this phrase that God is a father, any given person here in this room is going to have a wildly different depiction in their mind of what that father looks like. If I say God is a father, you might have immediate rejection of that. I don't want God if he is the type of father that I had. And maybe some, maybe a few, Lord willing, people in here would say, I had a great father, and, and he depicted a wonderful picture of what fatherhood looked like. But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that fathers ultimately provide three unique things to the family. Fathers provide, as I said before, protection, 
Fathers provide provision and identity. Those three things, I think, are very unique to fatherhood. Now, some of you might say, well, can, can mothers give these things? Well, of course. Mothers can, of course, give protection, provision, and identity. But, guys, the Bible holds that there is a uniqueness to the father in how he gives these things specially. And there's things that mothers give that fathers can't give as good as mothers, like nurturing and even education. The Bible always talks about that. So are y'all following me tonight? There are these unique things that fatherhood brings into the family. Protection. It's the father's job to protect the family, to keep the family safe. The Bible talks about it's the father's job to provide for the family. There is a provision that is necessary for fathers to bring. Now, we have that verse where Jesus paints heavenly for our heavenly father is a God, a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. He talks about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air in Matthew chapter 5. He says that they don't stress out, they don't toil or spin, or they don't, birds don't go and get jobs, yet they know, quote, this is what the Bible says, that they, they know that their heavenly father feeds them. God is a God who provides. He is a providing God. The third thing that fathers give is identity. This is hard to explain, but I'm going to do my best. There is something about fatherhood that gives identity to the children. It gives the children permission to live as though they really are who God made them to be. And, and I was listening to my campus pastor and, and good friend, Eli Gotro. He was explaining this to me. And he's like, whenever my daughters call uh, my wife, when they call their mother, they're always chatting about the day, what they did, like what they had for lunch, how, what cool things happened. And they're, they're just talking about the events. But when the, my daughters call me, he says, they're always asking giant existential questions. They're asking questions about the Bible or how do you fix the AC when it breaks? And, and, and they're always they're always calling him for these certain things. And it's just interesting how fatherhood, the father in the house, has a way of, give, of giving you your identity or giving you permission to pursue that Christ-like identity that God has for you. That you feel safe and secure to be securely who God has called you to be. There's something about that nature of God's heart. No wonder today, guys, no wonder our culture struggles so much with identity in our modern times. That no one even knows really who they are anymore. And we believe, start, start to believe the lie that our, our heart and our mind is basically um, a, a puzzle where you can just take, take pieces away if you want and you can kind of mold it into whatever you want. Like we have ultimate authority over our identity and then God has nothing to do with it. Guys, we live in crazy times today. I know you see it. You see it on the news. You see it in your classrooms. We have, we have gotten so advanced in science and technology today that we have f discovered that we have conquered gender now. And it's, we may chuckle and laugh at it, but people actually believe it. The point I'm making tonight, friends, is this. No wonder there's such a struggle with identity because we have so many families that have a fatherless family. When you remove that, there's that security that is missing, that can be missing, that, that you have to call on your heavenly father, you have to call on the Lord to give, to give you those things that you have been lacking. Hold that thought, we'll, go, we'll get to that. 
Jesus calls God Father a multiplicity of occasions. When he teaches the disciples how to pray, he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus, by saying that alone, could have gotten himself arrested because nobody referred to God in that way. But Jesus walks on the scene and he, he brings this intimacy connection with God, the God of the universe. He says, our Father, and he calls him Father. I quoted that verse earlier. Our Heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. Because he knows how to, and he is the father who provides. And in 1 John, we read that verse, see how very much our father loves us. The Bible repeats and repeats and repeats. Our relationship with God is best understood by imagining and believing that he is our father. But you see, friends, you'll never have a firm standing on your identity and who you are in Christ unless you know that your heavenly father loves you and fights for you. That's who he is. He loves you as children, and he fights and protects you as a heavenly father over you. You'll never experience this love that we all talk about, that your small group leader talks about, that your pastors talk about. You'll never truly experience the love of God unless you understand that God is a father. It's the only way. That's the nature of the father. Secondly, the Bible talks about what it means, the nature of a son, what it means to be a son. Now, girls, I'm not leaving you hanging here. Please, when you hear me say the word son, I mean children. The Bible talks about we are sons of God. It's talking about that we are all children of the most high God, sons and daughters. That is what Christ came to do, to make us sons and daughters of God. Amen? Now, there's three elements to sonship. You can write these sounds, this down quickly as I want to move past this quick. There's three elements to sonship of, of being a son and a daughter of God that you can't get rid of. No matter what life you live, no matter what you believe, you could be the most ardent atheist in the room and completely deny the existence of God. You cannot get rid of these three facts. You, Chi Alpha, every person in this room, you were made by divine hands. You were created by God. He made you. The Bible says that, that you bear the image of God. It talks about how before you, I, you were even born, I knew you when I knit you together in your mother's womb. God knew you and placed his fingerprint on you. Whether you believe that or not, that is true about you. You are made in the image of God. So right out of the gate, guys, you have incredible intrinsic value. You're made by God. And no matter how much people try to tear their lives apart, they do not change that fact. You were made by God. Secondly, you were made with divine likeness, means that God made you in his image. After his own likeness, that means you have a body and a soul and a spirit. So not only are you created by him, but he made you in his image. He made you to reflect the nature of himself. That's beautiful. That means he made you with a purpose, that you're not just existing here as a blob, <laughs> just that, that's here one day and then you're gone to next. God made you with a purpose. And thirdly, you are made as the object of, of divine love. 
So you were made by divine hands. You were made with divine likeness. You are also the object of divine love. Friends, out of billions and billions of planets, God chose one planet to love special. Out of billions of species on earth, God chose one species especially to love with a particular love. Out of You see the, the selection that God chose when he made you, that he knows, he knows you so intimately, he knows every number of hair, hairs on your head. He knows you, and he chose you, the Bible says. Now, looking at the, the story of the prodigal son, I've got these things on the screen for us to follow along with. Many of you will understand and remember the parable of the prodigal son. The is the younger brother. He says, Father, give me my inheritance now, which basically is another way of saying, I wish you were dead so I can get what's mine. Father gives him his inheritance. This is a parable. Jesus talks about one of the most fascinating parables. The son goes into the wilderness and goes into worldly living and squanders all of his father's inheritance, squanders his wealth. Loses it all and just in like the like in the Bible says in wild living. And so the son literally sleeping in the mud with the pigs realizes what have I done? He gets up and he starts going home. He goes, maybe my father will take me back in. And we read this incredible story. And Jesus says the father, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The father runs out to greet his son who was a who was a long way off. Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. It was far too dishonoring and disrespectful for them to pull up their robes and to expose their legs as they run. Women and children ran. But Middle Eastern patriarchs in this time, they did not run. And here Jesus depicts this is what God is like. He runs out to greet you as you are returning home. And what does this father do? He greets him, and he throws a robe around him. What is that robe? But the father showing that there's protection that he is putting back over his son. His son says, I'm, if you would take me in, as your, in your family again as a servant, and he's basically repentant and asking for forgiveness, the father says, put the robe on his back. He says, put this ring on his finger. You know what that, that's the family signet ring. So when he comes home, the father is saying, you are my son. I'm putting this ring back on your finger. Your, I, I, this family, that's your identity. You see, he squandered his identity and lost it when he was in the wild. But when he came home, his father gave him back his original identity because he had lost it. Puts the ring on his finger. Sandals, put sandals on his feet. Sandals, really, what does it mean? It's this provision. He's providing provision for your life so you can continue walking forward. He provides for your ability to continue forward. He provides. He says, slay the fattened calf. What does that mean? That means... My, this son of mine has returned home, and now we're going to celebrate. And so they cook a giant feast to celebrate the return of the prodigal son. So what does that mean? The, the father heart of God means he celebrates and has joy over your life when you grow and learn and live and, and, and learn about what it means to walk with God. And then the first thing that happens is even incredible is the father greets his son with a kiss. Guys, this is what your heavenly father thinks of you. He loves you. He wants to provide protection. He wants to give you your identity back when you lose it, when the world convinces you that you should be something else that you're not. 
God wants to restore to you the identity, the true identity that he has for you. He wants to provide for your ability to carry on. He wants to celebrate and have joy over your life, over your victories. And he, and this kiss the father gives his son is the sign that, that the, the Lord God is, has an affection and a desire to have an intimate relationship with you. John says in his gospel, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what Jesus has accomplished for us to restore unto us our identity as children of God. But see, you might be here and you might say, Daniel, I don't, I don't have this super intimate closeness with God that you're talking about. But see, guys, don't miss this. Here's the thing. If you don't sense that nearness with the Father, if you don't sense that closeness with him, many times that's because we fail to recognize that we're sons. You see, if you fail to recognize that you're a son of God, if you fail to recognize that you're his daughter, and if your identity is not wrapped up in that fact that you're a daughter of the Most High God, you're a son of God, you're never going to sense and feel that closeness and that intimacy with him. See, a lot of times what blocks the closeness, what blocks the intimacy is forgetting and not believing that you're his son. Forgetting and not believing that you're his daughter. Many people's identity in Christ is wrapped up in their behaviors. What, what did I do for God today? That means I was, that means I'm close. Or what did I do? And, and there's all, and now don't hear me, don't hear me out. I'm not discounting good deeds and good works. I'm not discounting that. But when your identity is just in Christ is only rooted in do, 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 you completely forget the fact that what you should be doing is becoming. You need, to, you need to get busy being a child of God rather than just focusing on the, the, those little behaviors. I hope, I hope that made sense. I didn't confuse anybody. Are we good? The nature of being a son. The nature of his love, lastly. It is not just the quantity of the Father's love that surpasses understanding. It's also the quality. It's not just the quantity of God's love that he loves every single person. He loves every individual, every one that he has created, he loves. It's not just the nature of the quantity of his love, but it's the quality. It's how he loves. Nobody can love you like God has loved you. Winky Prattney tells this incredible story of of when his son was really, really little, his son William, a little boy, would came running in and he had this kind of crumpled piece of paper and says, Daddy, Daddy, look what I made, look what I made. And and Winky's like, Oh, wow. He's trying to like get excited about it. He's like, What is it? <laughs> he doesn't know what it is. And his son William goes, It's an airplane, Dad. And Winky goes, oh, gosh, I'm so stupid. You're right. Of course it's an airplane. It's an incredible airplane. It's amazing. And then later on, as his son is running down the hallway, he turns, and you know what he sees on the wall? There is a picture frame, and inside that picture frame is that paper airplane with an inscription underneath that says, William's Plane. And Winky Prattney says this. He goes, "You under do, do you see how much God loves you? This 
is what we're talking about. That God adores you so much that anything you do and create, even though it's this silly, garbled, jumbled thing, he loves that thing. Why? Because it came from his child. God loves you already as it is simply because you are his child. So when you offer up an offering of praise or you offer up a gift to God, when you do something for him, he's not sitting there saying, man, you really missed an inch there. And he's kind of hounding you like a coach. He loves you as you because you are his son and his daughter. He loves you because it came from you. I told this story years ago. One of my friends was here sitting in the seats and and it, it hit him like a freight train, just explaining the story of God's love. We had worship, we had altar time, we resp- and, then, and then service was over, and he sat on his seats for 30 minutes just thinking about that one fact because it hit him. Is it hitting you tonight? The Father love of God, his Father nature who pours out affections and love for you. Dear friends, the Bible says that verse we just read, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know what that we will be like him. He's saying we do know in the end we're going to be like Christ. We are predestined to be conformed in the, into the image of his likeness. This is, that means God has put a blueprint in your life to make sure as you continue walking with him, that blueprint, will you will end up like Jesus every single day that you choose to walk in him. But how can we know who God truly is? How can we see the immense, infinite measure of God's love? I mean, who can understand it? I was reading one of my favorite authors that I quote often, His name is F.W. Borum, and he has an essay called The Uttermost Star, where he paints this beautiful picture I want to try to depict to you tonight. Imagine the uttermost star in the entire universe. If you were to get in a super magical machine and you were to travel to the very edge of the universe, the furthest star in existence, and if you can imagine God standing on top of that star, He sees the universe from that wide of an angle, Borum describes. But he also has the incredible ability to peer through a telescope that you and I could never even imagine. And he zooms in billions of light years all the way so he can zoom in on that one planet that he has chosen to love especially. And he sees our little blue planet. And he zooms in even further, and what else does he see? He sees you. And he can zoom in so far. God can see every single thing. He can zoom in so far. He even can see your DNA molecules. He knows everything about you. Can you imagine such a sight to see to have God standing on this star and seeing billions of light years away? He knows what you're going through. He can see everything in a fine point, and he can see everything in a massive wide angle and wide lens. But see, this is what's interesting about this is mankind will never get that far. We can strap ourselves in rockets. We can pay Elon Musk a bunch of money. We can 
We can strap a Tesla to the roof of the rocket ship and we can blast off and we can go as far as we possibly can go. And guess what? You're not even going to make it to Mars because the radiation is going to cook you like a microwave. We can't get anywhere in terms of the vastness of space. Man's technology and this is so this is why scientific faith is faith in science is so stupid <laughs> because it can't get you anywhere and i mean I, don't get me wrong it like Brian and I were super nerds and we love like we want to watch the rockets go up we think it's awesome you know like we land people on the moon again it's going to be awesome it's really cool but when it comes to reaching god you're never going to do it in your own strength and it's so silly because people actually put their faith in science that we're going to actually reach God. We can't even make it to Mars. Mars is the closest thing to it. <laughs> okay? But think, picture, the edge of the universe, they don't even know, billions and billions and billions of light years. And here you have the uttermost star where God is, could if he wanted. He's standing on top. He's so, he sees in such a big, big picture, guys, you wouldn't even understand. To see that far, you have to time travel. You, you just, it's impossible. But yet he sees the hairs that fall off of your head. He sees you that closely. I'm going to ask uh, Leslie to return. We're going to close in a time of worship. What am I saying with this illustration? Guys, mankind will never accomplish reaching God in our own strength. We can't travel billions and billions of years, light years away. But you know what? You don't have to. You don't have to travel that expanse. Do you know why? Because God accomplished that impossibility himself. You don't have to strap yourself to a rocket ship and try to reach the uttermost star because He, when he came and sent his son he traveled the billions of light years and through the expanse of unknown distances and came to this earth so that you could know him intimately and have fellowship with him. We could never travel that distance, but God himself traveled that distance so that you and I could have relationship with him. What am I saying tonight, Chi Alpha? If you know Christ, then you know your heavenly father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know Christ, if you know who he is truly, then you know the Father that created the stars, that created the heavens and the earth. You might be here tonight and you might be really wrestling because you know you really, maybe you're here and you just did not have a good example of a good father growing up as a young person as a kid but guys I'm telling you tonight if you have Jesus you know the father if you've seen Jesus you've seen the father and no matter what garbage you have gone through in your life I want to tell you Chi Alpha you have a heavenly father that loves you you have a heavenly father that watches over you and protects you. You might not have had an earthly example of it, but you better believe you have an example with God. If you know Christ, then you know the father.